Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there will I cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. In order to teach Jeremiah about the destiny of the nation. The Lord sends him to a potter's house to watch the activities of the craftsman at his wheel. The particular item which the potter is fashioning becomes disfigured and marred, as we read in verse 4. The clay was not responding to the potter's skillful hand, as it ought to do. It was defective clay. It had the wrong consistency. It perhaps contained some ugly pieces of stone within it. So the potter has to start again. And he decides this time to fashion quite <clears throat> a different vessel to his original design. The passage continues in verse 5 here. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand. O house of Israel, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. So the Lord likens Israel to clay in the potter's hand. He declares to the people through Jeremiah that he himself is the potter, able to do with the nation whatsoever. He wishes. He had intended to make Israel into a fine and beautiful vessel. But now he can only make something rough, fitted for the most common and dishonourable use. The nation, through its foolish rebellion, instead of becoming a beautiful vessel, reflecting God's favour upon her is now to be fashioned into a common vessel for a contemptible use. In other words, the nation is to become a vessel of God's wrath. We are being taught here that the affairs of nations are in the hands of God. 
just as clay is in the hands of the potter. The Lord deals with nations according to the degree by which they honour him. This is a fundamental truth which our contemporary society does not grasp and to which our political leaders do not refer because our leaders sadly generally speaking do not believe in the providence of God. When did we last hear a senior UK politician talk about the providence of God? We read in verse 7 here, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. And what will pause there? So in those verses seven to nine, God speaks on the one hand about plucking up and pulling down a nation. And on the other hand, about building up and planting a nation. Now in verse eight, we are clearly taught that the Lord will bring evil, evil in the sense of adversity, upon a nation which defies him. As we consider the end of World War II and the outcome of ultimate victory in Europe, uh, and then some months later over Japan, we can only do so in the knowledge that it is the Trinitarian God who establishes the welfare of nations and who determines the outcome of battles and of wars. It is God who ordains whether nations are pulled down, as we read in verse 7, or whether they are built and planted so as to prosper, as we read in verse 9. Verse 10 then tells us of the God-rejecting nation. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. So the Lord will withdraw from wicked nations the material blessing which he would grant to them as an aspect of his common grace to fallen men. The goodness of God, whereby men have the necessities of life and often more besides, is meant to lead them to repentance. This is clearly taught in Romans 2 and verse 14. 
the goodness of God is meant to lead men to repentance. This has tragically not happened in post-war Britain. Although the nation has benefited from the goodness of God in delivering her from the Second World War. Indeed, since 1945, uh, the nation has frequently and openly despised the commandments of God. However, as we think about World War II, it does provide us with some remarkable examples of God's providential blessings upon a people who were willing to humble themselves before him. We can see this wonderful teaching and example of God's providential blessing in respect of the issues of food production and industrial output during World War II. During the course of the war, Britain was very dependent upon the importation of food by sea in order to feed the population. Yet in 1942, for example, the prevailing military situation was such that much of the available shipping was needed for the transportation of men and munitions. And so it was more than ever vital that the nation grew as much of its own food as would be humanly possible. Now, when war broke out in 1939, Britain had been importing some 22 million tonnes of food each year. However, by transforming the way farming was carried out, it had been possible to reduce this figure of imports by 50% come 1942. In the 1930s, much agricultural land had been given over to grass for livestock. But with the outbreak of war, there was a great move over to ploughing and the growing of wheat and potatoes. The harvesting of which was aided by some 80,000 women who were working in what was known as the Land Army. Given the critical need for the nation to feed itself, God's people were praying that he would mightily bless the produce of the fields. The harvest in 1942, in fact, brought forth one of the most abundant yields on record. So much so that the then Minister of Agriculture, R.S. Hudson, said on the BBC News on October the 10th that whilst he acknowledged the hard work of those labouring in the fields, the intervention of God 
must be the ultimate explanation. The Minister of Agriculture publicly declared that the intervention of God must be the ultimate explanation. In this, of course, he was absolutely right. A vital factor in the nation's survival and ultimate deliverance in the great conflict over nearly six years was that the Lord in his providence was keeping the nation fed. As the growing season began in the following year, 1943, the News Chronicle newspaper reported on May the 6th on the need for the nation to be thankful to God in that the previous harvest had sustained both people and livestock through the winter months. It was also remarked upon how there was no shortage of milk and that the current year's wheat crop was looking very good. So one of the leading national newspapers of the day in the late spring of 1943 stated that the hand of God was at work in blessing the country's agriculture. We are reminded of the words of Psalm 67. Psalm 67 and verse 4. Thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. It was the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who was bestowing these blessings upon our fields. And we can be sure that this was in answer to the prayers of believers up and down the land. And so the Lord was intervening. Even what, would, what was happening in the fields was part of the war effort. And so the people were being blessed because of the faithful remnant of believers who were praying. How little does God rejecting society today realize how much it owes to Bible-believing Christians in its midst, praying down the blessings which they, as non-believers, nevertheless enjoy. How little does today's society, in its imagined sophistication, realize that it is the one true Trinitarian God who puts the food on the supermarket shelves. It is also the providence of God which determines a nation's industrial output. 
it is essential to examine the crucial matter of Britain's aircraft production in 1940, the year in which it was most likely that the country would fall to the Nazis. Between May the 10th and June the 20th, 1940, the period when France was invaded and fell, the RAF lost 931 aircraft and 435 pilots. 453 of these lost aircraft were Spitfires and Hurricanes. So Britain's military weakness after Dunkirk cannot be overemphasized. However, the nation was greatly helped by a remarkable civilian effort in the factories. 581 hurricanes and 275 Spitfires came off the production lines in June and July 1940, and Rolls-Royce turned out 839 Merlin engine, uh, aircraft engines in the month of June alone, with workers putting in vast amounts of overtime. The Civilian Repair Organization also ensured that large numbers of damaged aircraft were constantly being restored and returned to operational squadrons. 35% of fighter planes received by RAF squadrons between July and October 1940 were actually repaired aircraft. So we are reminded here that the many thousands who laboured in the factories, indeed millions, were an essential part of the war effort as well as the active servicemen. In fact it might come as a surprise to some that Britain actually excelled the Germans in terms of aircraft manufacture. Lord Beaverbrook, who was a newspaper magnate, was appointed by Churchill to head up this whole aspect of government policy, namely the manufacture of aircraft. One of his strategies was to remove as much as possible uh, any civil service administrative obstacles. Remarkably, 500 aircraft were coming off the production lines each week in 1940. This was double the rate at which Germany was able to produce them. Now here once more we are presented with vital biblical instruction. 
here we have an example of the truth that a nation's industrial efficiency is an aspect of the providence of God. Our contemporary society in its imagined secularist sophistication would now laugh at such a notion as industrial output being linked to the providence of God. But that is exactly the case. God in his sovereignty determines national prosperity or otherwise. The Bible teaches that a nation's industrial productivity, agricultural output, and general economic well-being are all aspects of God's providential control. The coronavirus is likely to lead to serious economic problems. What does that tell us about the removal of God's blessing from this nation? Now, the path to final victory in World War II uh, began, of course, on June the 6th, 1944, with D-Day, the Allied invasion of German-occupied Europe. <clears throat> On June the 5th, King George VI had made a radio broadcast in which he again called the nation to prayer. His speech included the following words that we may be worthily matched with this new summons of destiny. I desire solemnly to call my people to prayer and dedication. We shall not ask that God may do our will, but that we may be enabled to do the will of God. I hope that throughout the present crisis of the liberation of Europe, there may be offered up earnest, continuous, and widespread prayer. What a wonderful blessing to have a head of state addressing his nation in such a manner as this, and in putting his key emphasis, not just an afterthought, but his key emphasis, upon prayer. The final victory in Europe was not without great cost and much struggle, but God in his providence did eventually grant it. It is an enormous debt which we owe to all those soldiers and especially to all those who fell in the cause of maintaining our liberties and national independence. On May the 8th, 1945, Prime Minister Winston Churchill addressed the Speaker of the House of Commons and requested that the House adjourn in order to cross the road to St. Margaret's Church, Westminster, to give thanks to God 
for the rescuing of the nation. So the House of Commons adjourned to give thanks to God. Later that day, King George VI came out onto the balcony of Buckingham Palace in order to appear before the enormous celebratory crowds in the Mall and in front of the palace. He made a further seven balcony appearances uh, during that day. Now, what is particularly significant upon this VE day and amidst all the celebration taking place, and it has to be admitted that much of the celebration was on a very worldly level. But amidst all the celebration, thanksgiving to God was not forgotten. And so the day accordingly witnessed a special thanksgiving service at St Paul's Cathedral, along with similar packed services at churches up and down the land. And so throughout the country on VE Day, people went to church to give thanks to God. The service at St Paul's Cathedral was held at noon and was so full of people that all the aisles were crammed with standing worshippers. And many who could not gain entrance to the cathedral remained on the steps outside to try and join in with the service. In the same spirit of thanking the Lord for deliverance, on the evening of VE Day, the king addressed the nation. You may have seen his speech um, on Friday, um, because uh, obviously it, it, it was shown on the television. He concluded his speech by saying this. In the hour of danger, we humbly committed our cause into the hand of God. And he has been our strength and shield. Let us thank him for his mercies. And in this hour of victory, commit ourselves and our new task to the guidance of that same strong hand. So that was the king's emphasis. We owe the victory to the hand of God and we must now commit the future to the hand of God. So as we consider what happened on VE Day, we have the head of state and the most senior politician in the land publicly acknowledging the providence of God. And let us make no mistake, their reference was not to some vague notion of the divine so as to embrace all faiths. They were referring 
to the one true Trinitarian God who manifests himself in Jesus Christ. As we have read in Jeremiah 18 and verse 7, God declares, I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. How those words now rang so true in respect of the Third Reich. Plucked up, pulled down and destroyed. Likewise, the Lord also declares in our passage, verse 9, I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. Britain has been delivered from a powerful invader and from the mighty Nazi war machine. It was now severely weakened in many ways. Nevertheless, the deliverance was an opportunity to rebuild the country as a people humbled before and thankful to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether that opportunity was subsequently taken is, of course, a different subject. Our point in the immediate context is simply this. It is God who ordains the outcome of battles and of wars, and indeed the whole destiny of nations. God deals with nations as nations. One cannot read the Bible and ignore that fact. Between September 1939 and August 1945, Britain held 12 national days of prayer and or thanksgiving. In any consideration of the final outcome of World War II, this factor of a humbled people crying out to the Lord in prayer cannot be ignored. Our God does answer prayer, and he does answer the prayer of nations if they are willing to bow down before him and amend their ways. And so, as we at this time of the 75th anniversary of VE Day, consider that historical event. We can only consider it in the light of God's providence. The only proper reaction for the nation at this time is to bow down before the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to cry out to him for mercy and to ask him that despite all the nation's sins, he might yet once more come and deliver us. Amen.